Genesis 12, we're, we're continuing through our study of the, the entire Bible from beginning to end. And in Genesis 12, we, we come to really the turning point of the story of the Bible. Uh, up until this point, the story has been about how man ruined uh, God's creation, how God created the world, created everything perfect, and man lived with God in the garden in, in perfect, beautiful fellowship, and everything was peaceful and everything was was great. And then man ruined it with their sin. They they broke the relationship with God. They also broke creation. And in chapter 3, God promised to send a redeemer. He promised to fix everything that man had broken, to restore the world to what it originally had been. But up until this point, he, he really hasn't done anything about it. Uh, and that all changes in chapter 12. At the beginning of the chapter, we meet a man named Abram. Uh, he'll later be called Abraham, be renamed Abraham. And so I'm going to be calling him Abraham uh, throughout the message today. But Abraham becomes one of the most famous men uh, who ever lived. He, he is revered and honored in the world's three major religions, Christianity, Judaism, and Islam, all revere and honor uh, Abraham. But before we get into him and his life, I want to remind you where we are in the story of the Bible, really where we are in the story of man. In, in Genesis 6, uh, of course, man fell in Genesis 3, and in Genesis 6, man's sin has gotten so bad and man has become so corrupted that God decides to destroy the world with the flood. And he, he sends a worldwide flood that wipes out all of creation, that destroys every man, woman, and child, every animal, except for Noah, his three sons, and all their wives. So there's eight people that survived the flood through the mercy of God, which is God doing something to keep his word. He is, of course, judging sin. He is, of course, punishing man for their sin and their wickedness. But he's in mercy. He's, he's saving Noah. He's saving his family to keep his word so that he can keep his word to Adam and Eve, so he can keep his word to humanity to redeem the world. And so he saves Noah and his wife and his sons and their wives, and he saves all the animals and Noah. Uh, they're in the ark for about a year. It, it rained for 40 days and for 40 nights, but it, it's, uh, you know, it's been about a year now. They're in the water and the, the boat finally lands. And they come out after about a year and kind of reestablish creation. And uh, several years go by and Noah, he builds a plants a vineyard, becomes a farmer, and he gets drunk and commits sin. And he, he falls, he passes out uh, from being too drunk in his tent and his son Ham goes in there and does something just, just terrible uh, to his father, something shameful. And so this shows us that though God judged sin, the problem of sin wasn't fixed. God will not fix sin by pouring his wrath out on mankind. And so then in chapter 11, uh, man gathers together in the, the plains of Shinar, and God had told them to scatter throughout the world, to repopulate the earth and, and spread uh, across the world, but they didn't. They stayed in one place. They found a place, a nice uh, lush valley in the valley of Shinar, a place that could sustain them, a place that would protect them. And they built a tower there. They built a city there. And they decide to stay together to make a name for themselves. And God, of course, we saw last week that all of these things they were doing, building a city, building a tower, attempting to make a great name for themselves, it was their attempt to get back what man had lost in the garden. And it doesn't work. God scatters them, uh, and we then get the genealogy of Moses. And then we come to Genesis chapter 12. And the, these, these stories, they're kind of fast-paced. You know, man falls in chapter 3. Three chapters later, God floods the earth. Uh, just a few chapters later, God, man tries to build a tower, and God scatters them. 
Then we come to chapter 12, very beginning of chapter 12, just a few verses after man uh, is scattered by God and uh, God's trying to get them away from each other and he confounds the language. Just a few verses later, we, we meet Abraham where God comes to Abraham and he, he promises him that he's going to give him a nation and going to make him a great name and give him a lot of children and bless the world through him. And it seems like these things are, are happening very quickly. Uh, and in the scope of eternity, they really are. But these events are hundreds of years apart. From the moment Noah and his family come off the ark until man builds the Tower of Babel, is 106 years. Now, remember, it took Noah 120 years to build the ark. That's a, that's a pretty good uh, span of time that we have from man leaving the ark to man building the Tower of Babel and God scattering the earth. And so there were thousands of people on the earth at that time. A lot of generations have, have come and it's a it's a significant amount of time. And then from the moment that God scatters the nation in chapter 11 till the call of Abraham in chapter 12 is 321 years. And when God calls Abraham, Abraham is 75 years old. So it's been uh, quite a long time from God scattering man till God coming coming to Abraham and and calling him and promising him that he's going to use him and his family to redeem the earth and to send the Redeemer and bless mankind. Now, what's interesting is when you study this, the timeline, and you study the, the genealogy of these, these men and these women, and I've done a lot of that this week, so some interesting things uh, come out. For, for example, Noah was alive on the earth at the same time that Adam was. Um, not very long, but Adam was alive and Noah was alive at the same time. Now, Adam died long before the flood, but he was on the earth at the same time as Noah. Uh, also, Abraham and Noah were alive at the same time. That means Abraham could have known his great, 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 great grandfather. Noah. He probably didn't, uh, but he could have. They were alive on the earth at the same time for just a few years, but still uh, they were alive and they were there. Um, when we meet Abraham, he is living with his, his wife, his nephew, and his father uh, in the land of Ur. And so let's start reading in Genesis chapter 12. Uh, we're going to start reading in verse number one. It says, Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, unto a land that I will show thee. And I will make of thee a great name, a great nation. And I will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curseth thee, and in thee all, shall all the families of the earth be blessed. So right off the bat, we see that God is doing something different now. You know, before in Genesis 6, he saw the sin of man and he flooded the earth and wiped out everybody but, but eight people. In chapter 11, he sees the sin of man and he confounds the language and scatters man uh, across the whole face of the earth. But in Genesis 12, it begins with the word now. This literally means that at this point, God had made a decision. God was going to show that he was doing something different in his plan of redemption, and he was doing it with Abraham. He will, he's telling us that he will no longer send wrath to punish man for their sin. He's sending mercy and he's using Abraham to do it. Now, this doesn't mean that God's never going to punish sin. God does punish sin. He punishes sin in the Bible. He punishes sin in our life. Throughout the Old Testament, we see uh, God judging sin in some, some, some seemingly harsh ways. But even in his judgment of individual sin, he's showing mercy. In Exodus, you know, after... Uh, 
Israel has left Egypt. They go to Mount Sinai and Moses goes up on Mount Sinai and he's there for 40 days. And what's really interesting is at the beginning of his meeting with God, the Israelites are down at the base of Mount Sinai, but they hear God speaking. They hear what God is saying to Moses and they're terrified by it. So they, they ask Moses, they ask God to say, look, we trust what you're saying because God wanted them to hear so that Moses didn't come down and they Moses tell them what God had said. And they're like, how do we know God said that? So God was letting them hear this conversation. But they say, look, it, it, we, we can't handle this. Uh, it's just, it's too much. It's, it's too scary. It's too frightening. We're going to trust Moses. Whatever Moses comes down and says, God said, we're going to believe Moses. Just please don't make us listen in. And so God, you know, he, he stops them from listening in, but they still, they see the lightning. They see the thunder. They see what's going on on top of the mountain while Moses is up there getting the word of God. And he's up there, he's getting the Ten Commandments, he's getting the plans for the tabernacle and for uh, the table of showbread and the altar of incense and the, the mercy seat. He's getting not only the law of God, but he's getting these plans for man to be able to fellowship with God. And so he's up there for 40 days, and while he's up there, the nation of Israel uh, they begin to lose faith and they say, hey, how do we know God hasn't killed Moses? I mean, it's pretty frightening up there. All we, all we see is lightning and thunder and it's scary. And so Moses is dead. They go to Aaron and they say, Aaron, Moses is dead. Let's make another God. And we'll say that is the God that brought us out of Egypt. So they get all the gold together and Aaron fashions his golden calf and they start dancing and celebrating. And God tells Moses, hey, you need to go down because the nation of Israel is 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 acting wickedly. They're falling into sin. And God even says, I'm going to wipe them out. And Moses says, no, 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 don't do that. You know, you'll, you'll hurt the name of God. People will mock you because you brought them out just to kill them. If you're going to kill them, kill me. And so Moses, he, he has mercy on the whole nation of Israel, but Moses goes down. He sees what's going on. He gets angry and uh, he breaks the, the tablets that he had written from God. And he asks Aaron, says, Aaron, what's going on? And it's really funny when you read it. Aaron says, I don't know. They brought me the gold. I threw the gold in the fire. And this 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 calf just jumped out magically. And so Moses, that's where we get the saying where Moses says, who's on the Lord's side? And the, Levit, uh, the Levites, the tribe of Levi, come and stand with him. And Moses commands them to go throughout the nation of Israel and kill anyone who they don't think is on God's side. They end up killing 3,000 men. Seems a little harsh. I mean, he, God just brought them out of Egypt. He just spared them and delivered them in a great way. We see the, the Red Sea party and God crashing down on, on Pharaoh and delivering them. And he takes them through the desert and he gives them water from a rock. And he later sends manna from heaven. And so he's, he's taking great care of them. And now... Through God's leading, Moses has 3,000 men killed. But in this, we see mercy because God is teaching Israel and he's teaching us the result of sin. Sin always brings death, no matter who you are. Whether you're a believer or not, sin brings death. Now, as a believer, sin doesn't bring uh, eternal death for us. You know, we are spared from the from the grave. We are saved from the grave. We're, we're never going to suffer the, the, the indignity of death. When we die, when a believer dies, it's not, it's not a loss, it's a victory. Because the Bible says to be absent from the, from the body to be present with the Lord. So when a believer closes their eyes in physical death, they open their eyes in heaven and they see God face to face. And their, their faith becomes sight. And so they, they don't physically die. Or we do physically die, we don't spiritually die, while the unbeliever, if they die in their sin, they open their eyes in hell, suffer an eternal punishment, eternal damnation, eternal spiritual death. So the wages of our of man's sin will bring spiritual death to us, but if we've been saved, we don't suffer that, but we still suffer death through our sin, death of a testimony, death of relationships, death of dreams, death of positions. So God is teaching us as he kills 3,000 men uh, for, you know, making a golden calf, Aaron spared, and Aaron was the, the one that did it, but he's showing us that sin always brings death. And in, 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 in Numbers, we, we meet uh, two men, a, a Levite. Uh, we meet a man named Korah. He's a Levite. 
and he leads a rebellion against Moses and Aaron, and he accuses them of misusing their power. He accuses them of going too far and using the name of God to do things that they really shouldn't be doing. But when you really look into it and you study the story, they are what they're doing is that they're filled with pride and they're filled with jealousy over the kind of authority and the name that Moses and Aaron and the rest of the Levitical priests have. These these men were Levites, but they weren't Levitical priests, and they wanted to be Levitical priests. And so they lead this rebellion against Moses and against Aaron, and really against God because they want to be priests, they want to have a name, they want to be, you know, be powerful, and so they're they're filled with pride. And God, He He sends fire down from heaven to kill a lot of them. Then he opens up the earth and swallows 250 men straight down to what the Bible calls Sheol. Now, in the Hebrew, Sheol uh, wasn't just the grave. It was a place of torment. So God opens up the earth and swallows 250 men uh, straight to hell. Again, it, it seems kind of harsh, but in this, God is again showing mercy as he deals with sin. He was removing sin from the nation. He was removing sin from the people of Israel. And again, he was showing the result of sin and the result of our pride. Uh, and there's a lot of stories like that. You know, me and part, me and Connor were talking this week, you, you know, you get into the book of Joshua. And of course, uh, the nation of Israel, they, they come to Jericho and it's a great city after they finally cross the Jordan River. And God tells them, hey, just march around the city every day for seven days. And the seven days, march around seven times. Blow your trumpet, the walls fall. You'll be victorious. But God tells them, don't take anything from Jericho. Don't take any gold. Don't take any silver. Don't take any clothes. Don't take any food. Take nothing from Jericho. Destroy everything. So they go in, they march, they destroy the, the walls come down, they go in to destroy the city. And one guy named Nathan, he sees some gold, he sees some fancy clothes, he sees some silver, so he takes it home with him. They next day they go to next time they go to a city called Ai, a little small city, and they're they're routed by the, there. The the city of Ai chases them off, kills a bunch of men, and so Joshua goes before God and says, God, what's going on? You know, you you were there at Jericho, but now you're not here. And so God says, you're sitting in the camp. And so they, they figure out who it was. And uh, Achan, he has to, he is, he is punished. He is killed for his sin, but it's not just him. They kill his, kill his wife. They stone his kids. They burn his, his possessions. They burn his, his tent. They stone his animals. They, even, I mean, they, they kill the man's dog for goodness sakes and burn everything because one man sitting, you look at it like, man, it's harsh. That's a pretty severe punishment for sin. Why, why would God wipe out an entire family for one man's sin? Because again, he's in mercy. He's showing us the result of sin in our lives. And he's saying your sin doesn't just affect you. Your sin affects your family. It affects your relationships. It affects, it affects everyone. And it wasn't just Aiken's family that suffered from that. What about those other men? You know, I think it was like 33 men died. Because of Achan's sin. What about their families? What about their wives? What about their kids? They had to suffer because of Achan's sin. And so God is showing us sin doesn't just affect us. So God still does judge sin. Don't think, well, we're believers. We're saved by grace. Uh, God said he's never going to punish sin. He's not going to pour his wrath of uh, uh, out on the man for sin anymore. So I can do whatever I want to do. No, no, no. God will not punish humanity. For sin, he won't pour out his wrath for humanity's sin, but he will punish your sin. He will deal with your sin. So don't think you can sin and, and never be punished because God is merciful. Yes, God is merciful, but God is also righteous. God is also holy, and God is also just. Even when we read stuff and we see stuff in our lives and think, "I don't think that's fair. I don't think that's just." It is. Because God is just. So here's what here's the change God is doing in chapter 12. God will no longer punish all of mankind for sin. He won't pour his wrath for mankind's sin out on mankind anymore. Jesus took that on the cross. When Jesus died on the cross, he wasn't just suffering punishment for humanity's for crimes he committed on earth, or he wasn't just suffering because what the Romans said or what the Jewish elite said. 
He was dying for our sins. As he was on the cross, God poured his wrath for my sin, for your sin out on Christ. That's why Jesus, when he's, he's in the Garden of Gethsemane, he, he meets with God and he says, God, Lord, I, I don't want to do this. I don't, I don't want to go through this. Let this cup pass by me, but not my will, your will be done. He wasn't worried about the crucifixion. He wasn't worried about the pain. He was worried about the wrath of God for sin being poured out on him. And we, we see that being poured out on him as he's on the cross. And the Bible says that he was forsaken by God. You know, he cries out, you know, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And the, the earth goes dark. See, at that time, God was pouring his wrath for mankind's sin out on Jesus. And he turned his back on God the Son for a while. And their fellowship was broken for a little while because Jesus was being punished for our sin. God's wrath was being poured out on him. So God's saying, I'm no longer going to pour my wrath out on all of humanity to punish them for their sin. I'm going to show mercy to bring humanity back to me, to bring, to give a way for mankind to be redeemed by God and have our sins paid by God and never have to suffer the wrath of God for our sins. So today, we're going to look at this promise that God, he, he gave to Eve. He kept fulfilling it in the flood. He showed mercy and fulfilled it in the Tower of Babel. But he reminds us of this promise and he shows us, he begins to show us how he's going to fulfill this promise through Abraham to, uh, and he, we're going to look at the promise he gives Abraham to redeem man and bless the world through him. So here's the first thing I want to look at. Number one, God promises to deal with the problem of our sin. So in these verses, God is reminding us of the promise he made to Eve to send a redeemer and to fix what was broken. He, he tells Abraham that he's going to give him a home. Now remember, Abraham, he's he's got a home. He's living with his father and with his father and his his wife and his nephew uh, in Ur of the Chaldees. He's got a place to live, but it's not, and he's doing pretty well. He's 75. He's got a lot of possessions. He's got a lot of wealth. We see that later on in the chapter when he's just a few, you know, a few years later, he has to go down to Egypt. And so he's a, he's a pretty well-off guy. He's got a home, but God says, I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to give your nation a homeland. I'm going to bless them in a way that's that's never been seen. So he promised to give him a home. Again, remember, that was that is what was lost in the garden. He promises to make him a part of a family. At this point, again, Abraham, he's 75. He has no children. Now, he, he lives, you know, another 100 years, but he's still a pretty old man. He's past the age of childbearing. His wife definitely is. So his wife's barren, and this is a shame in those times, because children were a sign of God's blessing. Children were a sign of God, you know, uh, pouring his blessing out upon you. So he has no kids. He's an older guy. He's got a lot of possessions. He's got nobody to leave, leave it to. And God says, look, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a name. I'm going to make you a nation. I'm going to make you a family and give you children. And I'm going to make your name great. Again, he's saying, I'm going to give you everything that was lost in the garden, and I'm going to give you everything people were trying to, to get back by themselves in the Tower of Babel. This was God's plan to deal with the result or the punishment of our sin, not the problem that we all deal with sin. You know, there's, there's nothing special about Abraham. He was, he was just a guy. He was just a regular man. But he was made righteous through his faith in God. You know, Genesis 15, 6, and we'll look at this again a little bit later. He says, and he, talking about Abraham, believed in the Lord and, he, and it was counted to him for righteousness. God dealt with the result of our sin. The fact that because we are sinners, we are filthy. We are, you know, the Bible says that our own righteousness, the things we do in our own morality and our own strength to try to be a good person, you know, no matter who you are, you know, a lot of people, uh, you know, love, you know, and Mother Teresa was a great woman. Uh, she was a humanitarian. She helped a lot of orphans. She, she did a lot of good work in the world. But if she wasn't saved by faith through Jesus Christ, everything she did to be righteous 
was filthy rags. It was disgusting in the sight of God. And so God's saying the result of our sin is there's nothing we can do to earn our own righteousness back or to be righteous before God. So God gives us his righteousness. And so that's the, he's dealing with the result of sin. And he did that with Abraham. Abraham had faith in God. And because he had faith in God, God made him or looked at him as righteous. He, he believed God and he received what was promised. And God promises the same things to us that he promises us belonging. He promises us to be part of a family. He promises us greatness through him. And we receive that through believing in him. We receive the righteousness of God by putting our faith and trust in Jesus. But this doesn't fix the problem that of the fact that we still sin. It just fixed the punishment for us. And we see this in Abraham's life. You know, in chapter 12, he meets with God. God calls him, says, hey, follow me and I'll, I'll make you a great nation. I'll make you a great family. I'll make you a great name. The whole world's going to be blessed through you. Just follow me. Abraham believes him. He follows him, leaves Ur of the Chaldees, leaves his father, and he, he follows God and God takes him to a land and he's in the land God has shown him. And then there's a famine in the land. There's a drought and it's hard to live there. So Abraham begins to doubt. He begins to lose faith in God. And so he, he goes to Egypt. And when he gets to Egypt, he tells his wife, Sarah, who's, she's over 60 at this point. And he tells her, man, you're so beautiful that the men of Egypt are going to kill me so they can marry you. So don't tell them you're my wife. Let's just tell them you're my sister, which it wasn't a complete lie. Uh, they were brother and sister. They were half brother and sister. So I, still a little creepy, but it wasn't a complete lie. But he should have said, she's my sister and my wife. Uh, but he goes, don't tell me you're my wife. Tell him you're my sister. So he lies about his relationship with Sarah because he's afraid of what man will do to him even though God had promised him, hey, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to protect you. I'm going to bless those that bless you. I'm going to curse those that curse you. So if anyone had risen up against Abraham to try to take Sarah, God would have dealt with them. That was a promise God gave him. But he doubts God. He doesn't believe him. He lies about Sarah. And God has to punish Egypt because of it. And so then in chapter 16, he sins with Hagar. You know, Sarah doubts this time. She says, I don't know how God's going to give me children. I'm too old. And so she says, why don't you go? Why don't you take my handmaid, my Egyptian slave, go have sex with her, have a child with her. And that is how we'll get the blessing of God. That's how we'll fulfill the promise of God. And, you know, we can look at Sarah and again, blame Sarah and say she should have never suggested that. And she shouldn't have. But Abraham shouldn't have done it. Abraham should have said, no, we're going to trust God. We're going to believe God. But he, he didn't. He said, no, I'm going to go. I'm going to obey my wife. Kind of like Adam. I'm going to do what the woman said. So he, he goes in. He has, you know, a relationship with Hagar. She gets pregnant by him and he, he sins because he doubts. And in chapter 20, uh, again, they're going down to Egypt because of a famine. And again, he lies about his relationship with Sarah because he's afraid of what men will do to him uh, because of it. And so his life after he is made righteous by God through faith, his life is marked with sin and shame and doubt. And it's the same with us. We are made righteous before God because of our faith in the truth that he came, he died for us, he was buried and rose again to redeem us to God the Father. The Bible says that Jesus takes our sin and gives us his righteousness. We're, we're not automatically living righteously, but God sees us as righteous. But we still struggle with sin. We still have times where we doubt. You know, we can get we can get real uppity and, and you know, bash Abraham, but we're the same way. We doubt just as much as he does a lot of times. We lose faith like he does. We lie like he does. We, we do the same things he does, some more, sometimes worse. Because, yes, God dealt with the punishment of our sin through this promise, 
but it didn't deal with the problem of our sin. We struggle with that until we see Jesus face to face. And the second thing we notice is God's promise is for all people. Look what he says again in verse 3. He says, And in me shall all the families of the earth be blessed. So he tells Abraham, Abraham, I'm going to make you a great nation. And at this point in history, again, we're, we're over 300 years removed from the Tower of Babel and from the scattering of mankind, but they're all related to Noah. You know, they're all of one family. They're, you know, maybe distant cousins or whatever, but they're, they're still related. But God says, I'm going to take you, Abraham, and in you, I'm going to make a special family. That's where we get the nation of Israel, through Abraham. But there were still other families on the earth. There were the Canaanites, Perizzites, the Hivites, the Hittites, and the, the Smiths, the Jones. There were all kinds of people on the earth that were not Abraham. And he says, Abraham, I'm starting with you. I'm going to make a blessed nation through you. But through this blessed nation, through this family, all the nations and all the families of the earth are going to be blessed. See, here's what God's telling us. This promise of redemption, this promise of salvation, this promise of God's righteousness being applied to our account, it wasn't just for a few deserving people because no one's deserving. It wasn't, but it wasn't even just for Abraham's family. It wasn't just for the nation of Israel. It was for everybody. It was for every family in the world. It was for all people. And we see that throughout Scripture. You know, John 3, 16, probably the most famous passage of Scripture in the world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That world, it means cosmos, means all those living on the earth. So God so loved humanity, not just Abraham's family, not just Israel's family, not just one group of people, not just American Christianity, but God loved Every person in the world so much that he sent his only begotten son that whosoever, and you, no matter who you are, you are part of the whosoever. Whosoever believe in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. He says he doesn't want any to perish. The Bible says God's not willing that any should perish. That means God doesn't want anyone to spend eternity in hell separated from him. But he wants everyone. Every man, every woman, every child, every nation, every tongue, every creed. He wants everyone to know him as their Savior. That Yes, that means the nation of Israel. Yeah, but that also means me. That also means you. That also means your neighbor. That also means people in, in you know, sub-Saharan Africa. That also means the Muslims in the Middle East. That also means the atheists that you work with that hates God. God wants everybody to be saved through Jesus Christ. We put their faith in him. And he promised, he goes, I'm going, to, I'm going to make a way for every person to be saved through the family of Abraham. Now, that's great news because we're part of the world. We are part of everybody. And God gives us that promise, not because we're worthy, because we never could be worthy. It's because he loves us that he died for us. It's because he loves us that he keeps his promise to Abraham and he keeps his promise to us through Abraham. Look, you don't have to be worthy to receive this promise. God makes you worthy when you receive this promise. So we see God's promises for all people. Third thing we want to notice is God's promise demands a response. Look at, look at verse number four. In chapter 12, so Abram departed as the Lord had spoken unto him, and Lot went with him. And Abram was 70 and five years old when he departed out of Haran. So look, Abraham, he meets with God. God tells him, says, Abraham, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to make you a great family. I'm going to give you a great name. I'm going to give you land. And through you, through your family, I'm going to bless the entire world. But Abraham had to respond to that promise. He couldn't just sit there and say, hey, that's great, God. 
Get to work. Let me know when it's done. Because God said, Abraham, I need you to leave where you're at and follow me. Here's, here's what I'm going to do. All you got to do is follow me. God's promises always demand a response. God promises us that we can have our sins forgiven through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's the only, he says that's the only way you can have your sins forgiven. The only way to get to God is through Jesus Christ. The only way to be reconciled to the Father is by putting your faith and trust in Jesus. But he promises, hey, if you do that, if you believe that Jesus came for you, lived a perfect life because you couldn't die in your place, was buried and rose again three days later, if you believe that and put your faith and your trust in that, then you will receive eternal life. You will receive the righteousness of Jesus Christ. But we have to respond to that promise. We have to accept his gift of salvation. We have to trust him and him alone for the payment of our sins. We can't say, well, I believe Jesus died for me, but I'm still going to be, I'm still going to follow all these rules and be a good person and do these good works. And I'm going to do X, Y, Z as a, no, he, just, he, he says, no, no, no. There's no X, Y, Z. It's believe in Jesus only. It's not believe in Jesus and be baptized or be, believe in Jesus and join a church. Should we do those things? Of course we should do those things. Those are commanded by God for his children. But we have to put our faith in God only and trust him only for our salvation. He promises to save us, but we have to believe him and put our faith and trust in him alone. Abraham had no idea what lie ahead for him. God didn't show him where he was taking him. God didn't tell him what was going to happen on the road. He just said, Abraham, follow me. Follow me, and I'll make you a great nation. Follow me, and I'll make you a great family. Follow me, and I'll, I'll bless the world through you. Abraham believed it, but he had to follow God as well. God has given us hundreds of promises in his word, and they all require a response from us. He promises us to give us guidance and help. But we have to respond by trusting and following him. He promises to give us wisdom. But we have to respond by seeking his wisdom and following it. He promises to give us peace and joy and love. But we have to respond by seeking those things through him only. He promises to give us strength and power through him. But we have to respond by not living in our own strength and our own power. God's promises are for us, but we have to respond by accepting them and living them out. Here's the fourth and last thing we want to look at this morning. God will keep his promise in spite of us. You know, like we saw before, Abraham, he, he didn't live what we would consider a holy life after Genesis chapter 12, his life was, was marked with sin and shame and mistakes. In Genesis 15, God, Abraham is, he's having doubts God's going to keep his word. And God comes to him and Abraham says, God, look, you promised to give me a family, but I, I don't have any kids yet. It's, it's been 10 years up to this point. He goes, you, I don't have any kids. I've only got, you know a servant who's going to inherit everything I have, but he's not my child. He's not my kid. How, you know, you say you're going to do this, but I don't see any evidence that you're going to do it. And so God reestablishes his, his covenant with Abraham. It's a, it's a beautiful scene how God, he sacrificed, you know, he has Abraham sacrifice these animals and walk through them to show Abraham, Hey, I'm going to keep my word. And if I don't keep my word, then you can do to me what you've done to these animals. And so he, he reestablishes this covenant with Abraham and Abraham trusts God and has faith in his word again. That's where in Genesis 15, 6, it says, and he believed in the Lord and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Great part of the story. Abraham has his covenant with God uh, reestablished and God promises to keep his word. But look over real quick at Genesis chapter 16. Again, Genesis 15, God, you say you're going to do this. I don't believe you're going to do this. I don't know how you're going to do this. I'm too old. My wife's too old. There's no evidence you're going to do this. God, trust me. Abraham, I believe you. I trust you. He put his faith in God, and God said, because you put your faith in me, I'm going to view you as righteous. And look at 16, chapter 16, verse 1. 
Now Sarai, Abram's wife, bare him no children, and she had, uh, and she had no. Oh, sorry. And Sarai, Abram's wife, bare him no children, and she had a handmaid, an Egyptian whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said unto Abram, Behold, now the Lord hath restrained me from bearing. I pray thee, go in unto my handmaid. It may be that I may obtain children by her. And Abram hearkened unto the voice of Sarai. And Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, her maid, the Egyptian, after Abram had left ten years in the land of Canaan, and gave her to her husband Abram to be his wife. And Abram, and he went in unto Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw she had conceived, her mistress was despised um, in her eyes. And so Abraham, Sarah, of course, she comes to Abraham and says, Look, I know, I know you say God's going to bless me. I know you say God's going to give me children. I, I, I know, you know, you say it's all going to work out for good and this is what's going to happen. But look, I'm old. You're old. We ain't got no kids. Here's this Egyptian handmaid I got. She's pretty young. Go have kids with her. And so Abraham does. He follows the leading of the doubt of his wife and commits sin to force God's will. I mean, again, look at look at verse 2. She goes, and Sarah said to Abraham, Behold, the Lord hath restrained from me from bearing. I pray thee, go to my handmaid. It may be that I may obtain children by her. She goes, Look, I'm old. I don't, I'm not going to have kids, but maybe this is how God's going to do it. So she was trying to manipulate God's will. And so Abraham, one chapter, after God says, hey, you believe me, you're made righteous in my eyes. One chapter later, he fails. Big time. Just like we all do. Now, if we were God, if I were God, I would have given up on Abraham at this point. I'd have said, man, this guy, he's such an idiot. You know, I, I just told him, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to give you children through Sarah. I just told you this. And he turns around and does this stupid thing? Man, I'm done with Abraham. I'll find somebody else. But I'm not God. It is a good thing. I'm not God. Then in, in chapter 17, one, one chapter after Abraham fails humongously, God reestablishes his covenant with Abraham again, despite his sin. Chapter 18, God comes to meet with Abraham, has a meal with Abraham. This is, of course, the the famous story at the beginning of the destruction of Lot where God stands before Sodom and Gomorrah and says, I'm going to destroy the city. And Abraham says, hey, if there's 50, if there's 20, if there's 10, if there's 5, whatever, righteous, will you spare it? And God says, I'll spare it for however many, and there's not enough, so God has to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. But he's meeting with Abraham at this point. He's literally having a meal with Abraham at this point. And he is seeking Abraham's advice at this point. And so God, he comes to meet with Abraham and fellowship with Abraham and he again reminds him of the promise. And then in chapter 20, another time Abraham goes down to Egypt because of a drought, again has doubt, again lies about his relationship with Sarah, says she's not my wife, she's my sister. And this time she's actually taken to be someone's wife, but God judges them and punishes them before anything can happen to save Abraham and Sarah. And so again, he, he fails. He, he messes up. Because he's scared and he doubts God. Then in chapter 21, God keeps his, you know, he, he finally fulfills his promise to Abraham and Sarah. She gets pregnant. You know, Abraham's 100, she's 90. She gets pregnant and has, has Isaac, has a child uh, through the promise of God. And God keeps his word. And 25 years later, they're, they're able to have the children. But, but through all of this, it shows us that God is watching Abraham. He sees his failures. He sees his doubts. He sees his struggles. But he keeps his promises because God is faithful. Look, you may feel like you've let God down because let's be honest, we all have. We've all failed. But despite our failures, God keeps his promises to us. Look real quick back in chapter 16, verse number five. Again, you know, Sarah, she says, hey, use Hagar uh, to be my, my surrogate. Abraham does. Hagar gets pregnant. And then Hagar kind of has some pride, and she kind of looks down on Sarah because, hey, I can do what you can't do. And look at verse 5. And Sarah I said unto Abram, I wrong thee upon thee. I have given my maid into thy bosom, and 
when she saw she had conceived. Look, and here's what she she doesn't say. Look, this is my fault. I should have never tried to, you know, twist the will of God or force God to work in my way. She says, I gave you Hagar. When she got pregnant, she looked down upon me. That, that's, that's what she's apologizing for. Look, look at it. When she saw that she had conceived, I was despised in her eyes. And the Lord judged between me and thee. So she goes, look, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have done this. I did this. I tried to force God's will. And now because I tried to force God's will, my slave looks down upon me, and we can't have that. Not, I shouldn't have tried to force God's will at all, but because I tried to force God's will, my, my, my handmaid looks down on me, and I don't like that. Look at verse seven, uh, 6. But Abram said unto Sarai, Behold, thy maid is in thy hand, do to her as it pleaseth thee. So he goes, look, it, she's yours. Do whatever you want to do. Uh, and when Sarai dealt, and, and when Sarai dealt hardly with her, she fled from her face. So Sarah deals harshly with Hagar. Hagar, of course, she's and bear, she's, you know, feeling rejected and feeling hurt. So she she leaps, she flees. And the angel of the Lord, verse 7, the angel of the Lord found her uh, by the fountain of water in the wilderness, by the fountain in the way of Shur. And he said to Hagar, Sarai's maid, whence camest thou and whither wilt thou go? And she said, I flee from the face of my mistress, Sarai. And the Lord, and the angel of the Lord said unto her, return to thy mistress and submit thyself under her hands. And the angel of the Lord said unto her, I will multiply, this is a promise he's given to Hagar and, and her child, which will be Ishmael. But, uh, and the angel said, I will multiply thy seed exceedingly, and it shall not be numbered for multitude. Same promise he gave to Abraham. Uh, and the angel of the Lord said unto her, Behold, thou art with child, and shalt bear a son, and shalt call his name Ishmael, because the Lord hath heard of thy affliction, and he will be a wild man in his hand will be against every man and every man's hand against him. And he shall dwell in the presence of all his brethren. And she called the name of the Lord that spake unto her, Thou God seest me. For she said, Have I also here looked after him that seeth me? So Hagar, she's running from, you know, she's running from Abraham and Sarah. She's being punished. She's ashamed. She's scared. She runs away. God comes to her. Says, look, uh, you're pregnant with child. I'm going to bless your child too. I'm going to make your child great. Now he gives him a little bit different blessing because he's going to he's going to be a wild man. Uh, people are going to be fighting him all the time. He's going to be fighting people all the time, but he's going to be a great nation too. And so she says, "You are the God that sees me." She goes back, has Ishmael. Uh, things seem to be going pretty well. Then look at uh, chapter twenty uh, one. Isaac's been born here, and uh, chapter chapter twenty one verse eight. It says the child grew and was weaned. And Abraham made a great feast the same day, and Isaac was weaned. And Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, which he had born unto Abraham, mocking. So Ishmael, you know, he's he's it's been he's 15 years old, uh, or he's 15 years older than Isaac. Isaac's being weaned now. That usually took, you know, it, was, it wasn't like today. He's probably five or six, so he's a he's a young boy. Ishmael's, you know, he's 15, he's 20. Somewhere around that age, he's an he's an old teenager, young man, and he's kind of making fun of Isaac and Sarah. Man, Sarah doesn't like this. How dare that that servant's child, who is Abraham's son, but how dare this this servant's child make fun of my kid? Uh, wherefore, verse ten. Wherefore she said unto Abraham, Cast out this bondwoman and her son, for the son of this bondwoman shall not be heir with my son, even with Isaac. So, Pride on Sarah's part. Get rid of the I, that that kid doesn't deserve anything from us. Get rid of him. Uh, now Abraham does something decent at this point. It says, "And the uh, thing was very grievous in Abraham's sight because of the son." He's and it's like Ishmael's my boy. I know he's not the promised son. I know that God, you know, came and said it's not going to be through him, but through Isaac that he's going to bless the world. And the promises to come through Isaac, but still, Ishmael's still my son. He's still my child. And he's upset about this. And God said to Abraham, let it not be grievous in thy sight because of the lad and because of the bondwoman and all that Sarah has said unto thee, hearken unto her voice for an Isaac shall thou see because of God says, look, don't worry about, you know, I'll take care of them. You do what you're, you know, do what I tell you to do. It's okay to obey Sarah this time. Uh, and also the son of the bondwoman will I make a nation because of thy seed. So again, he's saying, look, I'm keeping my promise to him. And Abraham rose up early in the morning 
and took bread and a bottle of water and gave it to the Hagar, putting it under her shoulder and the child and sent her away. And she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. And the water was spent in the bottle and she cast the child under one of the shrubs. Again, he's a child, but he's not really a child. Um, and she went and sat down over against him a good way off and it were a bow shot. For she said, let me not see the death of the child. And as she sat over against him and lift up her voice and wept. And God heard the voice of the lad. And the angel of God called to Hagar out of heaven and said unto her, What aileth thee, Hagar? Fear not, for God hath heard the voice of the lad. There he is. <clears throat> and arise, lift up, thy, lift up the lad, and hold him in thine hand, for I will make him a great nation. And God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water. And she went and filled the bottle with water and gave the lad drink. And God was with the lad, and he grew and dwelt in the wilderness and became an archer. So God, he sees what's happening to Hagar. He sees her life and the things she's going through. He sees what Abraham's doing, but he's still keeping his work. You know, she's she thinks she's going to die. She's doubting God. God told her way back in chapter 16, hey, I'm going to bless this kid. I'm going to make him a great nation too. Don't worry, I'll be with him. But now she's like, he's going to die. There's nothing I can do about it. And so she's doubting and God comes to her and says, hey, remember my word? Remember the promise I gave you? I've seen everything that's going on, and I'm going to keep my promise to you. And he does. And Ishmael becomes a great nation. And look, you know, we, we we tend to, as believers, bash Ishmael because uh, the, the the Islamic world or the Muslim world looks at him as their father. And he, he is, you trace it, he is the the father of those who are Muslims, but he, he didn't start it. It was years later that that all came forth. And so he was blessed by God. He was used by God. And even the Muslims are used by God. And loved by God. And so we can't, don't bash Ishmael. He was just, God used him and God blessed him and God loved him. And don't, don't bash Islam. Don't bash Muslims. God loves them too. God wants them to be saved too. But God, he sees us. He sees our failures. He sees our unfaithfulness. And he still keeps his promises to us. He does that because he is faithful. He does that because he is good. He is loving and he keeps his promise to his creation. You know, God comes to Abraham and he reminds Abraham and he reminds us that he will keep his promise to redeem us, to save us, to pay for our sins, to die in our place and rise again, to reconcile us to God the Father, that he's going to keep his promise to restore the world to what it was before man broke it because he is worthy, even though we are unworthy. Despite man's failures, God shows mercy. God keeps his promises. Despite our failures, God keeps his word to us. The story of Abraham shows us that God is good God is faithful. God keeps his promises to us despite the fact that we aren't worthy.